Welcome back to another episode of the podcast, From the Depths of Darkness to the Light of Success. I am your host, Chris Swick, and on this podcast, we talk about mental health, addictions, eating disorders, ADHD, and really anything anyone's afraid to talk about, we talk about it on this show. I believe everyone's story is valuable at the end of the day. It does not matter what walk of life you come from. You're all welcome on my platform. Before we get started, though, head over to the YouTube channel, same name as the podcast, hit that subscribe button, turn on the notifications. And head over and follow me over on Instagram at Depths of Dark Side for great tips and tricks on mental health, ADHD, addictions, and just a look into the inside life of Chris and his family. With no further ado, I'd love to introduce you to my next guest. I got Johnny Crowder. He's the founder of Cope Notes. He's a he's a metalhead. He's got his own band. You want to take it away and let him know a little bit about you, Johnny, and a little whirlwind in a couple seconds, and we'll get going. Yeah, it's very difficult to describe me in a few sentences but i think you did a good job think like accidental tech founder meets heavy metal touring musician meets guy who likes barbecue and riding his bike and petting his dog so i'm like equal parts extreme and super nerdy and then a pretty normal dude but i think the reason why i wound up working in behavioral health in the first place is just because of how normal my childhood was, which is sad to say that abuse is normal, mental illness is normal. There's lots of, like literally millions of other kids who grew up in a dangerous home like me with multiple diagnoses like me. So it's funny when people say normal, they're referring to, oh yeah, my parents didn't abuse me and I grew up around, my house didn't have any substances in it and I didn't grow up with any diagnoses. And I'm like, bro, that's not normal these days. I, like the old saying is, I tried being normal for two minutes, man, but it just never fucking worked. What's normal? Yeah, that's a big reason why I work in advocacy is to remind people that like, number one, you're not a freak. Number two, there are millions of people who understand what you're going through. It's not just you. And if you can keep those things in mind, understand that while what you face might not be fair and it might not be your fault, you're not alone in it. You're not the only person experiencing it. I think that alone is really empowering. 100%. And that's why I like doing my show and just showing people and sharing other stories to show we are not all alone. We all may not have the same route we got to at this point in life or through our addictions or mental health issues. And those types of things, but we're all together. We've, we all sort of share the same brain space in the sense that I'm someone that has ADHD. So I can really relate to people that have ADHD where I don't think some of those people that don't have it, it's not that they don't get it, but you got to do that research and stuff like that too, man. Yeah. I am a big fan of the phrase and this rubs a lot of people the wrong way. I totally understand why, but I'm a big fan of the phrase, what you're going through or no. I think it starts the other way. I think it's you may be unique, but what you're going through is not. And that oh, a lot I of people love it, like, man. I love you, it. You don't understand what I'm going through. You don't understand my parents. You don't understand my background. It's dude. I get it. I get how unique it feels. But if you really got into peer support and talking to other people who share experiences with you, you'd go, no way. You too. You experience that thing too. And there's a sense of community there where I'm not saying you're exactly like everyone else, but I'm saying that what you're going through has a version B, a version C, a version D that people you know in your life right now have experienced. You guys just aren't talking about it yet. It's like putting myself to, I'm a sober 
clean and sober, put us in a room full of addicts. Well, there's lawyers, there's doctors, there's mm -hmm. professional athletes, there's homeless people. There's a little bit of everything in their car, salesmen, everything. We're all the same. Yeah, there's, I think you touched on something too that was really empowering, which was the health education component, like simply just researching this stuff, looking it up, Googling it. I went to school for psychology, so I took it to an extreme. I was like, I need to learn everything I can about the brain. But even if you're not trying to go to college, if you Google some stuff, watch some TED Talks, look on Quora, look on forums, and just try to read some articles from reputable sources and wrap your head around what you're going through, it can be so empowering to learn that there's actual science behind what you're experiencing. It's not some freak accident of nature. Learn about what's going on in your brain and it makes it feel more tangible. I love that you say that. I don't like to boast my fiance or nothing, but she really took it upon herself to learn about ADHD and what it's like living with a partner with ADHD. And I like, cause she's such an empath through and she gets what I'm going through some days, but I have to meet her halfway too. She says, if you want empathy for me and stuff like that, I gotta meet, you gotta meet me halfway though too, Chris and own yeah. your shit. <laughs> totally. Yeah. So Johnny, I got a few questions for you though. So what do you do? When you want to get out of your own head. It's so I find that interesting. That's an interesting question because it and I'm only thinking about this because I'm rereading the power of now for the fourth time. And I'm thinking like maybe the answer isn't getting out of our head. Maybe it's not. I think the biggest fallacy I had growing up was that I had to escape my brain. I had to get away from it. And now I'm like, you just got to learn to work with it. But that's a meta response. I think I understand what you're asking underneath that. And I think for me, there are a few things that completely pull me out of any kind of anxiety spiral or negativity tornado, whatever you find yourself like compounding inside of your brain. Oh no, what if this goes wrong? What if that goes wrong? Or I'm worthless. I don't matter. Honestly, art and exercise and nature. So art could be the best combination of these things that doesn't sound like art or exercise or nature is going to a car show. I go to car shows almost every weekend and you're walking around. So there's the exercise. You're in the hot sun and there's I'm in Florida. So there's trees everywhere and water everywhere. So you're in nature and you're staring at these beautiful works of art, these sculptures that we call cars. And for me, I can be at a car show and the rest of my life completely melts away all of my challenges and problems. And I'm just feeling the sun. I'm walking and you wind up walking thousands of steps at a car show because you're just walking around for hours outside and you're staring at this art. And I think I like sharing that example because most people think, oh, he works in behavioral health. So he's going to say meditation or he's going to say therapy. And it's dude. You can leverage anything in your life to improve your mental wellness. Anything. If you collect stamps, if you like trimming your beard and that you can leverage that as like a self-care routine, something that helps you like just that's art, man. Be resourceful. Absolutely. Use what you have. You don't need to go invent something new or find something new. You can leverage something that you already love for your own wellness. Dude, I find myself at car shows sometimes too. And I, I like going to car shows and checking out unique cars, classic mm -hmm. cars, exotic cars. Do you find yourself walking like 
like you just mentioned, thousands of steps. Do you find yourself coming back to certain cars over and over again just to check them out? Maybe I missed something on this oh, yeah. car sort of thing. <laughs> yeah, it's it's the equivalent of going to a museum that's outside. And I think that's why I love architecture for the same reason. I can walk through a city and stare at these big old buildings and be like, whoa, how did they make that decision to make that roof line like that? Like you can, I, I think if you examine your life, anyone listening can find something that they don't consider to be related to their own wellness. And then if they dug deep enough, they'd be like, why do I like that? Why do I like playing video games with my friends? And it's, oh, because we're on, we're playing lives, we're communicating with each other. So I'm hanging out with my friends. I get to like chew on something. So maybe it's a puzzle or a challenge or something. And there's something about me that likes that. Dig in. Why do you like the stuff you like? And if you chase that all the way to the end of the rainbow, you will find that it nine times out of 10 has something to do with your mental and emotional wellness or else you probably wouldn't do it. For sure. No, it's, it's so true. Like there's so many things you don't need to, like you said, reinvent things or invent things to have a good time or get out of your own head. There's so many things like write down a list of even if it's five things and continuously do those and create habits around those five hobbies you have and you will find yourself living a much happier life I think. Uh, we i have a buddy who so i am a tech ceo and that's very new to me i'm four and a half years in i have friends who are eight years in 11 years in and they tell me every single time when they first get an executive coach who's going to help them lead the business help them be an effective leader and support their team every single coach winds up saying hey, what's your hobby situation looking like? Like, how can we get you playing a harp? How can we get you practicing archery? And it's unreal to hear how commonly these business coaches, these executive coaches come in and say, hey, let's lean into something that is not related, directly related to your company or to something that would look like productivity and lean into something that makes you feel like a human, gives you something else to practice. You know, I love that you say that too, because hobbies are important to have. It's not always about work and your passion projects or whatever. You got to get out and enjoy what's out there to, to serve you better. Like myself, when I got clean and sober, I loved golf before, but I probably went on almost a 20 year hiatus and Whoa. I golfed from the time I was like nine or 10 all the way till I was 18. I had a membership at a golf course. My parents, it was an escape for me too, I guess, in a sense from childhood trauma. But I would be on that course. My parents would have to drag me off at 9, 30, 10 o'clock at night. But I'm getting back into it now. And it's so enjoyable. I'll go play around by myself. And I'm okay with yeah. that. <laughs> yeah. And I often hear when I talk about this kind of thing, like at a conference or during a Q&A or on a panel or something, some of the questions from the audience are like, what if I don't know what I'm passionate about? And it's, dude, I just bought, I'm not making this up. Last night on Amazon, I bought a $15 ping pong paddle set. $15 to play ping pong because there's a ping pong table at my apartment complex. I am not passionate about ping pong. I'm doing it. I'm stepping outside of my zone of what I would normally do and trying something new because I know that practice of simply doing something for the sake of enjoyment and it offering no real tangible. Will playing ping pong increase the bottom line revenue of my company directly? Probably not indirectly 
it will affect everything. It will help me sleep better. It will help me connect with other people. It will help me eat better. Like all of these things are interconnected. So I think the biggest fallacy that we fall into when we go to look for something to do for the sake of wellness or investing in some other part of us that's not directly related to work, we think, oh, what if I'm not? What if I haven't dreamed of being a ballerina for 20 years? And it's like, doesn't matter. If you think it'll be interesting, take some ballet classes. And if you don't like it, try something else. Don't overthink it. 100%, man. It's all about, and I love how you mentioned stepping out of your comfort zone. That's what life's all about, stepping out of that comfort zone. I hate heights. I hate those types yeah. of, like, I, I used to be fearless <laughs> back in my day. But now as I get older, like I'll go to the amusement park, the fair or whatever, and my feet stay on the ground most of the time. But I know my fiance wants me to do skydiving or the mm -hmm. CN Tower in Toronto. They have a CN Tower walk. So you can walk on the outside of the CN Tower strapped in by a harness and just walk around it like over 1100 feet up in the air. Jeez. She's done it before. She wants me to do it. I was like, if she's done it, she's back here. She's alive still. I guess I can do it. It's <laughs> yeah. just. It's getting me up there, but like it's breaking those fears and just stepping out of that comfort zone and getting that rush, you know, that, that rush of life, that high on life feeling. Yeah. And I think we falsely equate success in a scenario like that with enjoying it. But actually, that's not the point of something like that. If you let's take the ping pong example, you play ping pong and you're like, I didn't really like that. And it's you understand what a victory it is for you to have done that. Now you tried ping pong. For, trust me, for me to find the things that I liked. Listen, I've been playing guitar for 20 something years. I have tried almost every other instrument and I'm just not good at other instruments. I can write other instruments, but I cannot play them. And that's not a bad thing. Actually trying to play the other instruments is the victory. It's the attempt. Now, do you think, let me ask you that like with trying those other instruments and you saying you're not good now did you give it your all or do you do you think if you practice more and more you'd become better at another instrument sort of thing johnny i think anybody who practices and i understand this is one of those generalizations that people be like what if you have i understand that there are edge cases but i believe that on the whole for the most yeah. part anyone who put time and attention into anything could become an expert at it anything 100%. So if I dropped guitar and said, you know what, I'm not playing guitar until I master the piano. I am confident that I could master the piano. Now, would it take me 15 years because <laughs> yeah. it doesn't come as naturally to me? Maybe. Would it take yeah. me hours and hours a day? Maybe. But I firmly believe I can. And it's something I actually look forward to doing because, listen, if you play ping pong when you're 15, say, meh. And then you play when you're 30 and go, this, that's what happened to me. And that maybe when I'm 45, I'll go, meh. And when I'm 60, I'll go, this is fun. So always leave room to like stuff that you didn't like before. For sure. And it's, there's so many things that you, you have mentioned, man. It's just about trial and error and mm -hmm. getting out of that comfort zone is what Johnny's saying, everyone. And, and I appreciate you bringing that up, man. Dude, it's the perfect metaphor for wellness, too. Trust me, I have tried certain meditation apps and therapy apps. I've tried yoga. I've tried laughing yoga. I've tried hot yoga. I signed up for goat yoga, but it was canceled. And I don't like yoga, dude. And I continue to try these things. That's pretty much all wellness is trial and error until you find some things where you go, wow, I think that really helped me. And that was not my first therapy session. That was not my first clinician. That alone took trial and error.
Yeah, I've been through many therapists and clinicians and stuff like that. It's going to be trial and error maybe the rest of my life. It's not that I haven't found the right one yet or haven't found the right one. Just sometimes you grow out of one another. It's just like growing out of a relationship or growing out of love with someone and those types of things. Time to move on. If you wanted to live off the radar, where would you want to live? I was thinking about that. I don't like the idea of living off the radar because I love people so much. I love seeing people. I spent a week with my friends in in North Carolina and they live in the middle of nowhere, super, super far from anybody. And I felt bummed. I was like, oh, I miss like seeing people at a grocery store or driving past someone on the road. Like I miss those micro interactions. But if I had to live somewhere, keep in mind, I haven't been to a lot of places outside the US. But the first place that comes to mind is Iceland. Again, I've never been. But the I think you have fun I, there. I know my the fiance has been there seen. to do a shoot. What's that? My fiance has been there with some models to do the she's a photographer. So she's done some mm-hmm. shoots there and stuff. And she loved it. There's like from the pictures I've seen, there's abandoned airplanes in the middle of nowhere, just like half wings Crazy. missing. And Yeah, Iceland is at the top of my list just because I equate Iceland with like peace and quiet. Um, I live in Tampa, which is a it's a big city now. There are yes, there are beaches, but there's a million people there. It's you don't really get outside of civilization here. And when I was growing up, I listened to this band called Sigur Rós, and they are like an instrumentally. Well, I guess they have a singer, but it's more like atmospheric, kind of very calming, almost soundtrack like movie soundtrack kind of music. And they would have these music videos where they showed the Icelandic like countryside. And I would now when I think of Iceland, I think of those like peaceful tones and melodies. And I'm just like, ah, I want to go there. So it's on my list for sure for travel. Nice, man. Yeah, I'm sure you'll definitely enjoy it. And it'll be just a peaceful and calming experience. Even if you went with someone or just even went by yourself. There's so many cool things to see there from what I do see as well. And I'd love to go there myself as well, man. That'd be something on my list as well to go check out and stuff like that. Heck yeah. You're in a band. You've, you're a metalhead. You, you have a heavy metal band and stuff like that. What's the name of that band and how did that come about? So the band is called Prison and... Prison or Prism? Prison. Okay. Like a jail. And <laughs> honestly, so I started playing music. I played my first show when I was like 15 or 16 and I just turned 30. So I've been playing music for a long time and I am lucky to be in the band that I'm in now because My old band got signed when I was really young. We were touring full-time. Literally before I was old enough to get into the bars that we were playing, I was already signed and touring full-time. So it was a ton of responsibility, a ton of work, and it wound up burning out everybody. We were on tour six, seven, eight months a year. So playing like 200 shows a year. It It was an unbelievable amount of work for literally no pay. I'm not exaggerating. Literally no pay. We would pay to do it because the cost was so high between your van and trailer and buying all the merchandise and everything. It was just an incredible amount of money to do. So we all worked for years for free, broke our backs, and it wound up burning everybody out. So all of my band broke up. All of those members quit. And I turned to a good buddy of mine, Austin Coop. And I said, dude, I'm pretty sure my band is breaking up. I don't know what to do. And he was in a band called Adalia. And I loved his band. We had played together for years and years since we were teenagers. And he was like, oh, man, the same thing is happening to my band. I was like, 
what do you think? <laughs> do you want to start something? So we wound up making a band of the members of other bands that were breaking up around the same time. And honestly, it's a super group. Like I'm so grateful to be in a band with people who are the most talented people from their previous bands. Nice. And what's your, what's your role in your band? Are you the guitarist? I actually am the vocalist, which was not my plan. I never intended to be a singer. Like ever since I was a kid, I started playing guitar when I was eight. And I mean playing guitar. I was noodling on guitar when I was younger. But when I was eight, I was like, I'm a guitarist. And I just started hammering the guitar. And then when I went to try out for bands, it was like, dude, everybody's a guitarist. <laughs> like all of these bands are like, we don't need a guitarist. We need a vocalist. So I started trying to do vocals and it did not come naturally. I had to work really hard at it. But here I am. And who would you say would be your biggest influence growing up starting guitar at a young age like that? I loved Slipknot and Corn and Linkin Park, Three oh, Days man. Grace. God bless Linkin Park. But, I loved listening to them and Corn and stuff like that. I wasn't much of a Slipknot guy, but I loved Corn. Yeah, all of the that era of music did so much to stretch my brain. Didn't understand that you could play guitar that way, like super fast tremolo picking and super heavy stuff, down tune your guitar, playing seven string guitars. What the heck? So it was so fascinating to me to learn, especially at that age, that music didn't have to be what you think it has to be. It can be something more unique, more different. And it really stretched me. That's awesome. And then what was it? Was it, was there someone in your family, father, mother, that sort of got you into the metal scene? No, I honestly, my friend's dad bought volume three by Slipknot. And he let my friend borrow it. And then my friend let me borrow it unbeknownst to my parents. But even before that, dude, I was when I was growing up, I always listened to the rock stations. So like yeah. Breaking Benjamin, even like in the 90s, I listened to like Bush and stuff like all that stuff that was on the radio, Rage Against the Machine. So I had a bend towards metal. And then when I heard that record, I was like, what? And I was listening to System of a Down. And then my buddy Jeff Perkins took me to my first show, like a metal show. And it just changed my actually I had a terrible time I went to my first hardcore show and there were fights and it was overwhelming and I was so uncomfortable I was a little teenager I was like must have been 13 years old or something and I was like this is scary I never want to go back and then the very next weekend he was like do you want to go to a show I said absolutely I remember going to some crazy mosh pits at like shows and uh, warp tour warp tour would come up here it was just insane I was just like this is actually fun it's <laughs> like I couldn't do it this day and age. Like my son asked me to go to shows and I'm tapped out. I'll go watch, but I cannot. Yeah. It's just not the same as I don't recover as easily anymore. Totally, dude. I just turned 30 and we just got back from tour literally yesterday and I, my body hurts and it hurts like my knees, my back, my neck, my shoulders. And I'm just like, dude, what the heck is this? Cause I've been touring for a long time, but dude, when you're 19, you are indestructible. You could throw me down a flight of stairs and I would spring up and run six miles. Like I was just had so much like raw energy and testosterone. And then now that I turned 30, I'm like, ooh, I don't know if this is sustainable. But then again, the dudes in corn are 50 and they are they're still going head banging on stage harder than any 19 year old you can find. 
Oh yeah, man. Well, those those are the good days. I find like those bands, System of a Down, Disturbed, like like that type of that that like I've seen those guys, and that was probably one of my favorite weekends. I saw Disturbed on the Friday night, and then System of a Down on the Saturday night. Best time. That's awesome. Yeah, I've been to some other great shows too over the years, man. But it's fun shows. I like a little bit of everything: hip hop, rock, a little bit of everything, man. I just like mixing it up. Now, but do you like doing that yourself too, or are you just straight metal really and the hard rock and stuff? I would explode if I only listen to metal. Yeah, fair enough. There's um, some guys like, that only straight do only only metal. No way, dude. Picture <laughs> it's like only driving your car 140 miles an hour, <laughs> like. <laughs> It would just explode. Fair so, enough. I like that analogy. Yeah, I listen to a lot of hip hop, a lot of really soft indie music. I actually primarily play classical guitar. Oh, nice. So like finger style, acoustic, instrumental style guitar, um, yeah. like nylon string stuff. So I love soft music like indie pop. I listen to a ton of hip hop and a ton of like lazy rock, like more alternative, kind of maybe a little slower and moodier, like post-grunge kind of stuff. I think all of it helps make sure that when I write a song or I write a record, it's not just another metal record. It's like subtly influenced by all of these other things I listen to. Nice. I like to hear that, man. That, that's amazing. And it's nice that you like to mix it up as well, too, Johnny. Oh, yeah. So what are your hopes and concerns for your community and or the country with the rise of mental health issues and concerns going on right now? I know there's tons going on up here in Canada. I have friends in the States and stuff like that, but I don't know a whole ton about what's going on down there. You're down there. I'm up here. Yeah, my my concern on the whole is probably with our culture's tendency to talk the talk and not walk the walk. Like we're really good at retweeting when Justin Bieber says that he's skipping a concert because he's feeling depressed. That'll get a million retweets. No one's like, oh, good. Take your power back. Take care of you, Justin. And then there's no action at all. So even you'll see it on the news and stuff. And it's, oh, the Department of Health and Human Services says that mental health is a top priority. And it's like, great. Now what? Like what now are you doing? That you've said that it's a challenge. And then what I'm seeing is there are all of these little roadblocks that get in the way. Yes, people recognize that it's a challenge. And then maybe, yes, the government acknowledges that it's a challenge. And then maybe if we get lucky, yes, the government earmarks funding for it. And maybe, yes, the government deploys funding to municipalities for it. And this is, I'm speaking from personal experience because part of my job at Cope Notes is to coordinate with city and county and state governments for public programming for behavioral health. Like those are our biggest clients is these governments, these local governments. And what we've found is some of these folks never actually get the money to deploy. And some of them, when they do get the money, they're like, it's so tied up and there are so many things that you have to do to qualify for it that every year these municipalities are returning tens of millions of dollars each in funding. So what my biggest concern is like from the uproar of people saying that it's a challenge to actually making sure that funding is earmarked and deployed and actually spent on the resources and then making sure that those resources get to the end person who needs them, the random resident in your county, that process has so many different snags in it. And my concern is that 
if we don't solve those soon, we are neglecting, we're parading around saying, imagine, Chris, imagine if I said next year for the year 2023, I'm earmarking $1,000 for personal training. And then someone interviews me on a podcast and say, how's it feel to earmark a thousand? Oh yeah, I feel great. And then imagine next year, halfway through the year, I haven't spent any of it. I'm like, well, I earmarked it, but I haven't gotten a personal trainer. And then imagine you give me trouble for it. And you say, dude, you earmarked a thousand dollars. You better spend that thousand dollars. I say, sure, I'll book this personal trainer. And then I never, that's what's happening in the behavioral health continuum right now. And it is infuriating as a provider. I am not a funding entity. I am not a fundraising entity. I actually, Cope Notes provides real services to real people every day. And the providers are the ones that are getting choked out, which is so frustrating to see that happen to other organizations who are doing amazing work. It is crazy to see it. And I see it a lot, even up here. It's all talk, talk, but they're not walking the walk either. The government, oh, we need to do better here. We need to do better here. I'll stop saying we need to do better and do something about it. I don't care. I'll call out my city here that I live in, man. For instance, in Guelph, Ontario. Why did they need, we have a totally usable and functional main library downtown here. We have a huge crisis with the fentanyl crisis, mental health crisis everywhere across the globe. But now we've decided we're going to rip up the one parking lot down here. We're going to put a 70, $75 million brand new library down here. Holy but, but, but crap. They can do that though. That's the shit that I don't get. That's wild. But we have a housing problem. <laughs> so many other issues. It's nice to see that they're actually building a facility for youth mental health. They did say they're going to do that. They got funding yeah. from the government and it started. It's a nice facility. They did That's buy awesome. up two old motels. They're, they're turning into shelters because we need more shelters. That is nice to see, but it mm. took them a long time to get to that point though, too. It was a lot of talk for almost three, four years before anything oh, yeah. happened. And yeah, there's a $70 million a, new library. The other one's functional. I go in it all the time to get books out. There's a clip that I want to post. It was actually from my, I'm testing to be certified as a recovery peer specialist. And, um, as part of my training, I had to watch this online course. And one of the videos was a government official talking about what it's like to get funding for behavioral health passed. And she was like, yeah, the first year that we all hear about something, this is what normally happens. The first year we all hear about something, we're like, oh, that's and then the third year we hear about it, we're like, okay, I think I've heard of that before. I've seen this person at other committees and town halls and stuff. So I know what they're working on and we should probably do something about that. And then the fifth year, they say, didn't we already do something about that? <laughs> it's no. Yeah. So she was explaining there's this, that's why it takes so long is because a lot of, and keep in mind, I'm trying to empathize. Like I understand anybody who works in government has a trillion jobs. They're solving a trillion problems that I don't understand because I'm just a resident. So I try to empathize with that. But also that's the challenge is saying, hey, I know that you want to put a new library in. I know that there might be 100,000 people in my city that want that new library there. But I'm here to make a case that behavioral health is a more urgent need. All I ask is that you listen to me. And that's hard because you need hundreds or thousands or hundreds of thousands of people to do that to actually enact change, which again is why advocacy is so important, why shows like this that dig into topics like this actually do change culture. 
And I like that you say that too. And I'll, I'll give my mayor kudos, Mayor Cam Guthrie. He's been on the show too, but he's huge. He'll ask questions and he goes out of his way. He goes around the community talking to everyone, which is nice to see. You don't see that from a mayor all the time either, man. He's out in the community. Mm-hmm. He's out with his wife every weekend downtown eating on a different patio, supporting small businesses and stuff. I know it's not just him that passed this law, but like it, yeah. it goes to so many levels here between the governments, provincial government, everything like that. But it's just mind boggling when there's money that's needed in other areas with mental health, especially in, in addictions and stuff mm-hmm. like that. But totally. I'm just a resident, like you just said, and I live here right now, but we got to, you got to use your words, got to use your voice for the voiceless and stuff like that. Before we get going, man, I got one last question. Do you journal? If so, how often, and what are the benefits for you from it or from any, for anyone if in that matter, listening? I will say that I journal now. I did not for many years. In fact, one of the reasons why a big component of what we do at Cope Notes is help people use a journal on a daily basis is because of how transformative it has been for me. So if you were to come to me, I remember when I was first in therapy, my therapist was like, oh, you should get in the habit of journaling and here are some best practices. And I was like, dude, I am a bodybuilder that listens to death metal. I am not going to lay on my bed like a schoolgirl and write in a diary. And I had this image of what I thought it looked like to journal. But I've already painted this image, it sounds like. (laughs) But dude, I always loved writing. Yeah, I always loved it. I I liked writing stories and poetry. And I was like, dude, journaling is just another extension of my interest in expressing myself through writing. Now, journaling has been transformative for me. I do it every single night. I'm not joking. I do it every single night. I actually have a Google Doc and... Every night I write the date and it's all in one Google Doc. I write the date. I write a list of 10 things that I'm thankful for, like 10 good things that happened that day since the last time I journaled. And they could be big. We closed the biggest deal that we've ever closed at Cope Notes. Or it could be teeny tiny. Like I can't believe I found a parking spot so close to my friend's house because normally I have to park like an, a, a mile away and then walk. I make a list of 10 things I'm grateful for and then underneath, I pray. So it's kind of like free form, like stuff I'm trying to think through, stuff I need help with. Um, And I do that. It's usually about a page typed out every single day. And I do that every day for a whole year. And then I, once I finish a calendar year, I start a new Google Doc. And I've been doing that every day, every year for years now. And it did not start that structured. It became that structured because it helps me. And honestly, I think that it overall has made me a much more grateful and positive person because if every night before you went to bed which is important for me when you because a lot of times when I would get in bed I would recap all the things that went wrong I go oh man I have to solve this problem tomorrow and I can't believe this happened today I'd recap almost doing your to-do list or your checklist when you shouldn't be doing that and if if I guarantee that if you challenged yourself to write a list of 10 things you were grateful for every night and you went to sleep with that as your primer, you would sleep better. You go, oh yeah, this cool thing happened today. Oh yeah, this is awesome. And I've been doing that for years. It has lifted my spirit as a whole, not temporarily. Like it makes me feel a little bit better after journaling, but it's actually lifted my baseline 
to where I'm a much more grateful and much more patient person. And I am not perfect. I have a ton of things I'm working through. But without journaling, I think I, I would still be quite a negative and bitter person. I love that you say that, man. That's actually a great idea. Anyone listening, that's instead of writing pen to paper, I think I'm going to, I'm going to try that. Thank you for sharing that. So everyone listening, maybe go open up a Google doc and just start writing from today. If you can't do 10 things, do five things, start small and work your way up to those 10 things. Oh yeah. I started with one and it would take me a long time to think of one. Cause I was so angry. I'm like, nothing good happened today. We've come to the end of the show, Johnny, man. I, it was truly a pleasure coming on and just listening to you talk you know, learning things from you about working through anxieties, depression, and learning about Cope Notes as well, man. You do, you're doing an amazing job with what you're doing with your app with Cope Notes and those types of things, man. So keep on going. Before we go, though, where can everyone find you, find Cope Notes, maybe if they'd like to join and, and plug your band into and stuff like that. If people, we got some metalheads out there that like to listen. Yeah, we didn't really get to talk about what Cope Notes does, but the short version is that we yeah, provide... Yeah, throw the short version in. Sorry about that. Yeah, no sweat. We provide daily mental health support via text message. So we send these texts at random times that are written by peers with lived experience and contain psychology facts, exercises, journaling prompts. And over time, these text messages literally train your brain to think healthier thoughts. It is super fascinating. If you go to copenotes.com, you can read more about it. You can also do a free trial there. You can buy a gift subscription for a friend. It is super, I'm not supposed to say this, but I'm the CEO, so I can. It's super cheap. So I encourage you to go there, check it out, try it out for yourself or a friend. And then also, if you, even if you're not into metal, but you like rock or you want to try something new, if you go to Spotify or Apple Music or wherever you listen to music and you look up the band Prison and the album Still Alive, I think that you will really enjoy it. And if you are looking for me online, if you go to YouTube and search my name, Johnny Crowder, you can find both of my TED Talks or you can go to johnnycrowder.com if you want to get in touch with me. And I think that's almost everything. I'm on all the major social medias besides the popular ones. So I'm not on Twitter or TikTok, but I do have Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn. Thank you again, Johnny. It was truly a pleasure, man. And keep advocating for everyone out there, the vo being a voice for the voiceless. I really love what you're doing, man. And thanks again to 20 Timmy Minutes. He'll like that one. I'll send him that clip because we had a good laugh because up here in Canada, we have Tim Hortons, everyone. So oh, yes. <laughs> so good. <laughs> the Timbits, bro. Every time I go up there, I get a box of Timbits. Oh, nice, man. Nice. I wish you all the best. You, I hope you have a great rest of your day, Johnny. It was a pleasure having you on my show. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Chris. No problem, man.